Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So, it's a merry little Christmas then that we're all supposed to have. Uh, We might be allowed to hug each other. We might be allowed to share some mince pies. We might be allowed to travel between homes. We might even be allowed to open one or two presents. If ever you thought you would find yourself uh, in a more ludicrous situation than this one, I'd love to know what it would have been. Yesterday, Dr Strangelove, a.k.a. Chris Whitty, the Chief Medical Officer, stared blankly at the cameras as he delivered his verdict with Boris Johnson at his side. Clearly reluctantly granting permission for some of us to actually enjoy ourselves and possibly even smile over the holiday period. I mean, I don't wish to be too personal about Chris Whitty, but he doesn't look as if he's had a good time in his entire life. Can you imagine this guy actually enjoying himself? Can you imagine him actually laughing? Can you imagine actually letting himself go? Can you imagine him dancing? Can you imagine him doing all sorts of other physical activity? No, me neither. I just don't think he's had any fun in his entire life. The ridiculous response as well from the assembled so-called journalists was as embarrassing as it was hopeless. Whose fault will it be if someone gives COVID to a relative? Piped up the Sky replacement for Beth Rigby, who's clearly not any better. ITN's genius wondered if the Prime Minister would encourage three families to party together in the same room for five days, as if anyone's going to do that. This morning's Daily Mirror has a supermarket advert as its front page with the message, there's nothing quite like Christmas. The actual front page is a disgrace. It calls Boris Johnson a disgrace because he won't change the rules. I'm sure the executives of that newspaper, uh, some of whom I know pretty well, will be enjoying their lavish festive parties on their lavish six-figure salaries. Meanwhile, Tobias Elwood, uh, who was on this very uh, radio station yesterday admonishing Julia Hartley Brewer and telling her why we needed to lock down even more in order to save ourselves for the future, it turns out has been to a Christmas party. Wouldn't you know it? 0344 499 1000. We'll be asking the always optimistic Brendan O'Neill what it is all about. Meanwhile, uh, we've got more on the test and release situation. We'll be talking to Helen Dale about the year from hell. And Baroness Kate Hurry will bring us the latest on Brexit. Plus, Matt Hancock is making a statement in the House this morning on the status of the tier system. Will he change any of them? Will Manchester get a break? We'll bring you the news uh, as it happens. We'll also check in with Donna Harvey uh, in California, who will bring us the latest from the US of A. And we're going to have another look at the Tom Cruise situation, because apparently five people have quit after he shouted at them, the nasty man. You know, the man who actually is in charge of Mission Impossible, the man without whom Mission Impossible would not exist. Five snowflakes didn't like it, so they've walked off. And the unions are saying, well, of course, you've got to be protected from horrible bosses that shout at you. Really? Well, what about if the horrible boss that shouts at you is a multi-millionaire actor from Hollywood and without him you wouldn't have a job? 
Wouldn't you just have to put up with it, wouldn't you? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spikes Online. We both took part yesterday uh, in a little webinar, uh, which is another word I'd never heard of until this year, uh, which is something you do on a Zoom call uh, with lots of other people. We talked a lot about the year. We talked a lot about the pandemic. We talked a lot about the government response to it. But the thing that I really enjoyed was when Brendan O'Neill declared himself to be pretty optimistic, like me, about the future. Brendan, a very good morning to you. Welcome. I was very encouraged by what you said last night, um, because there are not that many of us around at the moment, uh, optimists, I mean, uh, because it is, to me, a kind of laughable situation now. And I mean, I know that there will be those who say, well, it's not funny when you're talking about people dying. And I don't mean that part of it. I mean, the way that everybody's asking the most ludicrous questions about what they are going to be allowed to do and why the government won't tell them in more detail what they should do. And I was joking there with Julia Hartley Brewer, you know, maybe I'll have to be told how to put one foot in front of the other. Otherwise, I'll never be able to go anywhere. Yeah, I, I, I'm an optimist because I think most normal people are either bending the rules or breaking the rules or finding some way around this lockdown craziness. Because, mm. I mean, some people are doing it because they have to, right? They have to carry on working. They're not a, a well-paid, pampered member of the chattering classes who can sit at home for months on end and carry on getting paid and carry on getting their food delivered. You know, the kind of people who love lockdown because for them it's been a nice social experiment and they're, they're wealthy enough to enjoy it. There are some people who have to bend the rules because they have to earn a living. There are other people who are bending the rules because they know there's more to life than staying safe uh, 24 hours a day. They mm. want to see loved ones. They want to connect with people. They want to enjoy Christmas. So my optimism comes from the fact that I know from people I speak to that almost everyone is bending these rules and thinking to themselves, how can we carry on living even in a time when the government has gone completely mad? Well, this is it. And also this whole myth about staying safe is in in fact just that. It's a myth. I mean, we keep hearing Andy Burnham said it this morning, the most likely place you are going to catch COVID is actually at home with the people that you live with. Or indeed, if you go to hospital, it's not in a pub, it's not in a restaurant, it's not while you're walking around in the street. That's right. And um, there's no there's so little evidence forthcoming from the government and its advisors about why they are attacking certain industries, why they're closing down certain spaces. What I want to hear is the consequences of London being in tier three, because Mm. I think the consequences will be devastating. Think about all those pubs and restaurants which will have had bookings worth tens of thousands of pounds for the next two weeks. That will have kept them going through till next year. That would have paid people's wages. That would have paid for future weddings, future university educations for their children. I mean, this is these are the things that have been destroyed with the swipe of your bureaucrat's pen. Mm. All those places are now closed down. All that money is now down the toilet and thousands of jobs will be lost. Who is going to answer for that devastation who is going to answer for the propelling so many people into despair and unemployment and it really makes me angry when you have these well-paid well-connected members of the expert classes or the media classes or or the bourgeoisie who who are constantly saying lockdown harder lockdown Mm. for longer with no consideration of the impact that lockdown has on less well-off people, who it impacts on far harsher than anyone else. But the thing that I also find incredible, uh, Brendan, is that the questions that came yesterday from the media, um, who are getting more and more ridiculous with each uh, passing week, were all about um, things that they have obviously swallowed as, as facts. 
for example, you know, harder lockdown. Why don't we have a harder lockdown? Because obviously that will stop the spread. Well, it doesn't work in, in Wales, does it? I mean, Wales has now got some of the highest rates of cases in the known world. And in fact, they've had probably more lockdowns than any other country in the world. I think Wales has gone mad. I, I can't understand what's happening in Wales. I'm, I'm wondering when the Welsh people are going to rise up from their slumber and right. do something about this. It's an extraordinary situation where they had the fire break. It didn't work because cases shot up quite uh, dramatically off, straight afterwards. And um, they had the highest rates in the country for a while. I think they still might have. And what's their answer? They're going to have another lockdown, a severe lockdown from Christmas Day onwards because they're such miserable scrooges. <laughs> um, and it, it doesn't work. There's there's no proof that these lockdowns work. And I think a lot of people out there are wondering if officials have possibly gone a bit mad because the only solution they seem to have to this virus is to lock everyone in their homes, um, throw the economy down the toilet. Let's not forget we're heading for the biggest recession on record and to cause uh, millions of people to go on the dole queue. Mm. That, that, you know, a lot of people in the next election, however long away it might be, they are going to remember what the government did. And I think the government could be punished for some of the actions it's taken. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But of course, they won't be voting Labour because they don't appear to be offering any great solutions either. Andy Burnham was on Julia's show this morning um, and he was kind of asking for two completely separate things. One, he wanted to have more lockdown for Christmas, but less lockdown uh, for Manchester. Somehow the two things didn't quite meet in the middle. You're absolutely right. No one, I don't think the option is to say, oh, the Conservatives have gone mad, therefore I'll vote Labour, because Labour would have been worse. I mean, Labour's only supposed opposition to the government at the moment is to say, do more, be more authoritarian, lock down more people, mm. take more precautions. Um, and that's the official Labour position. But, you know, um, I, I'm so bamboozled that the left has been such a loud cheerleader of the lockdown, because mm. if you look at what's happened during the lockdown, there has been the largest upward shift of wealth in recent times. Yeah. I mean, the billionaires have got incredibly rich during lockdown. Companies like Amazon and others are just raking it in, while ordinary people have lost their jobs. Small businesses have gone under. Um, independent pubs are being destroyed. Uh, and uh, the left is cheering this on. They're mm. cheering on as some of the richest people in the world milk the lockdown and become even wealthier. And as working people and small businesses get completely thrown under the bus, we have to think about um, the class differential in the lockdown. For the upper middle classes, it's quite nice, right? For, for, for the less well off, it's incredibly difficult. So lots of Labour voters will be thinking, why is Labour cheering this when they know that the economic consequences will be devastating? Well, that's right. I mean, looking uh, as I was this morning at the Daily Mail piece about the civil service fat cats, including uh, a Witty and Valance and all the rest of them, and the amount of money that is being spent on these people. Mark Thurston, head of HS2 Limited, 625,000. Andrew Haynes, Network Rail. 590,000. I mean, these are staggering sums of money, which, I mean, frankly, unless you work at the BBC, you're never going to see, are you? <laughs> it, it's grotesque, you know, it really is. And, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't mind people earning ridiculous wages 
if they weren't at the same time conspiring in the destruction of local economies yeah. and the destruction of local communities and the destruction of millions of jobs. And that's what some of these experts are doing. So they live their very comfortable lives in their nice houses with their big gardens, and it's fine for them to stay at home for a period of time. But then what they do in their workplace, if they're a member of the expert classes that are currently advising the government, they take decisions which are destroying people's lives. Mm. We, we, you know, we shouldn't beat around the bush around, about this. There are, uh, I meet these people quite a lot. I've seen them on some of the protests that have taken place. These are people who have lost everything. Yeah. They've lost all their savings. They've lost their jobs. So um, there needs to be a reckoning with the impact of lockdown because I, I was off the view long ago that the cure, our supposed cure to COVID, will prove worse than the virus itself. And mm. I think that's been borne out over the past year. We've just seen um, figures today about the number of missed cancer screenings because the NHS became the national COVID service over the past few months. Mm. People weren't being screened for cancers. Millions were missed. And as a consequence, some of those people will probably die where they're otherwise wouldn't have. So um, the health service, the government and the experts have got a lot to answer for in terms of the impact they've had on lives, livelihoods, mm. the future. And they've obviously made a lot of wrong decisions. And they've also been working with a lot of inf information, which which is questionable, to say the least. And that's the thing that I find most ridiculous, you know, where we still hear even today, people from the NHS saying, oh, well, we mustn't overwhelm the NHS. Well, you know, they talk about that every single year. You know, every single year I hear the same refrain from the BMA and the people who run the NHS saying, oh, you know, it's always very tough in the winter. Well, why? You know, surely if you know something is going to happen every single year, you prepare for it, don't you? Well, the way I see this, if, if, um, if the only way that the National Health Service can deal with a novel virus is by shutting down the entire country, putting everyone under house arrest and destroying the economy, mm. then there is something seriously wrong with the NHS. Right. If that's the only way in which our health experts and health officials and health system can deal with the arrival of a virus, which by the way, they've been predicting for years and years and years. Mm. So it's not as if it was a complete surprise. If the only way they can deal with that is by putting us in the worst recession on record and making millions of people unemployed and taking away every one of our liberties, then they need to sort themselves out because that is not a good way to run a country. But I think the, it, there's so much fear-mongering around this too because if you look at London, the Daily Mail was reporting yesterday that um, in London, in fact, only one hospital, it seems, has um, the, same num the same amount of bed occupancy as it did last mm. winter. Most other hospitals in London have slightly less bed occupancy than they did last winter. So if things are not as bad as they are telling us. Now, that doesn't mean we can all just go around hugging old people in the streets or anything stupid like that. Everyone's taking precautions. I mean, people are actually suggesting that we shouldn't do that as if that's something that we would be doing normally. I mean, that's, that's right. the other thing, right? That's right. They, they have this crazy view of people who just wander around sneezing on strangers or coughing in people's mm. faces. The truth is people are actually very polite in public and they are taking sensible measures now. Right. You know, um, you might avoid an old person if, if you think they're particularly vulnerable. And I'm sure people's Christmas parties are going to be sensible, too. And that's the thing that the, the officials underestimate. They underestimate the common sense of the public, the well of common sense out there, the fact that people and communities are more than capable of judging risk 
for themselves and making decisions for themselves about how to spend Christmas. The government should trust us more and stop demonising us as simple spreaders of disease. Right. So now comes the hard part, Brendan. So what have you got to be optimistic about after all that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm optimistic about the fact that... Um, as far, from my uh, anecdotal evidence, people are going to do what they want at Christmas mm. and there's nothing the government can do about it. I mean, that is the bottom line. I know there are lots of people in the media who are now um, virtue signaling and saying, I'm not going to visit my mother at Christmas. I'm going to be sensible and stay at home and be miserable. And they think that makes them such a wonderful, caring person. But of course, most normal people are looking at them as if they're completely mad. Right. Um, I'm optimistic because I think people are getting on with life as best they can. I think there's still there's a there's a brewing anger with the current situation, which I think could be expressed at the ballot box soon. And I think um, I'm also optimistic because I think people still want Brexit. They still want change. They still want a new form of politics that takes on board what ordinary people think rather than being obsessed with the views of the woke elites or the technocrats and all the rest of them. So there's still a, a public sentiment out there which says, listen, take us and our lives seriously. Stop messing us around. And I think that's going to come into play into politics a lot more in 2021. I think you're absolutely right. Brendan, great to talk to you. Uh, very Merry Christmas if I don't see you before then. And I'm sure we'll emerge from it uh, cleansed and uh, perhaps with a few extra presents, things that we didn't have uh, before this particular year. Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spikes Online, talking a great deal of sense. And I agree with his optimism because we are an optimistic country. We do deserve to be an optimistic country and we will always be an optimistic country. We will get through this, not with standing uh, whatever the politicians tell us whatever the doctors tell us whatever the experts tell us we will be okay and we will deal with things in the best way that we can deal with them as we always have it's as simple as that surely mid-morning with mike graham talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now, we've been talking about bad bosses because, of course, uh, Tom Cruise, you would have heard earlier on in the show, uh, shouting and ranting and raving uh, at various uh, people on his crew uh, where he's filming the new Mission Impossible movie uh, because they weren't social distancing and he's worried they're all going to uh, absolutely shut down. We're going to talk to Mark Dolan, uh, talk, of course, Talk Radio presenter uh, extraordinaire. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. High praise from the boss, from the master himself, Michael. Listen, I'm delighted to see that you and I's uh, little uh, thing about freedom passes and, uh, you know, who's running this country has just been put out on social media yesterday, uh, even though we did it a little while ago. Uh, so people can go there and have a look at that. But I understand uh, that you have a little story for us about Tom Cruise. I do. I presented a show on Channel 4 called Balls of Steel, which was a hidden camera prank show i guess a, sort of a naughtier version of candid camera if you like michael yes i remember one, it yeah one of the uh, one of the stunts was uh well to go around interviewing celebrities with a microphone that happened to be armed with a water cannon inside it and uh as luck would have it we managed to trick tom cruise into a, a junket interview and he didn't expect what was about to happen to him right because the thing about tom cruise up until this moment was that he used to do a lot of this didn't he, he used to go out uh, walk up and down the red carpet uh, you know do selfies with people talk to people's mothers on the phone and it was all yeah. it all seemed a bit fake didn't it well, I think so. Uh, he was very much playing the Hollywood game. And, you know, on this occasion, because he's a public figure, of course, you know, once you have access to a celebrity, then you can tell them a joke. Uh, you can possibly ask them a question which is outrageously rude, which, of course, 
the comedian Dennis Pennis used to do. Yes. But at Balls of Steel, we took it up a level with a water cannon. Now, what was interesting, Michael, is it was very revealing about the character of the victim. Yes. Um, so we did it to many celebrities, including Sharon Osbourne, who was hilarious because she went into the building behind her after she'd been squirted. She came out with a bucket of water and chucked it all over Channel 4's rather expensive cameras. <laughs> Very good. But good Tom Cruise, we're just watching it now. I remember this as well. He was not happy, was he? No, that's right. If you're a brilliant audience are watching on uh, YouTube, Facebook and Twitter, they'll be able to see this footage uh, of what looks like a conventional interview. And then suddenly Mr. Cruise gets, uh, well, he gets a mouthful and an eyeful of H2O. Mm. And interesting because um, his reaction, I thought, in the uh, audio recording uh, on set of Mission Impossible was somehow redolent of his reaction to our hit on Balls of Steel, which was perfectly reasonable that he wasn't happy uh, but somehow he got so angry that it became quite revealing about the nature of the guy's personality i mean it got worse um, didn't it as as he continued yeah. to sort of berate the guy and you could see that he was in you know, I, 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 I seem to remember he was saying things like why do you think that was a great idea why did you yeah. do that to me exactly funnily enough it was it was relentless and it, somehow i think you know tom cruise is an extraordinarily talented guy michael um, I agree with an earlier caller to your show who said he's never going to win an Oscar for his acting. Mm. But he is the most bankable movie star in the history he is. I'm of quite, cinema. I'm quite surprised he didn't try and sort of put you guys out of business and sue you uh, well, to, well, to actually, the point of destruction. I can be honest with you. The Channel 4 lawyers lost sleep uh, over that incident. <laughs> I bet they and, did. And, and, I, and they were managed to patch things up. But what, what, what's fantastic about our free press, which is, you know, last time I checked, we still have a free press just about, Michael. Yeah, but unfortunately, um, most of the people working in it are completely useless. Afraid so. Uh, but but uh, we, essentially, we were not found. I mean, we were naughty, but we, we did not cross the line, which, of course, is the magic of talk radio as well. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it, Mike? You know, what, what happened uh, on set at Mission Impossible um, was a problem. Because people don't realize, not only does Tom Cruise do his own stunts, which is why his movies are so compelling to watch. Mm. There's no CGI. It's all real. Yeah. He's the producer of his movies, Michael. He's part of the financing and part of the kind of day-to-day -day logistics right. of the movie. And so he's got, you know, the weight of the world on his shoulders, which is why you can be quite sympathetic. That oh, I think so. Absolutely. And also, you know, not that I would in any way advocate, as you would as you would think, bullying of any kind. But, you know, there are times when a bit of shouting is actually required. And sometimes the idea, I mean, there's five of these uh, snowflakes have apparently walked off the set now because they couldn't stand him shouting at them, which I think is very typical of sort of where we are now, that you can't say anything to anybody without them taking horrible offence and telling running 100 miles away because uh, they can't possibly be spoken to like that. Well, indeed, we've seen it with the Home, uh, Home Secretary Priti Patel, who seems to have ruffled feathers at the Home Office by being rather brusque. Well, being the Home Secretary is one of the toughest jobs in the country. She's got to sort out terrorism, prisons, the cops. Mm. Uh, understandably, she's going to lose her rag. And I think that's what's happened with Mr. Cruz. You know, he is presiding over this enormous enterprise. It's his name on the door. And also, I thought what was amazing is it showed how, well, I suppose empathetic this guy is about the people working under him. You know, because you would imagine a, a multimillionaire superstar wouldn't think twice about the sound man or the woman operating the vision mixing. But actually, he's got a real conscience about his team. Yeah. He couldn't stress enough that if this comes down like a house of cards, people will 
you know, not be able to pay their mortgage. Their kids won't go to college. But this guy's got, you know, he's got a serious overview of people's lives, which I found very surprising and quite reassuring. Well, I think if somebody came into this studio here and started doing things which were, generally speaking, thought to be um, illegal in terms of the numbers of people, the, the types of behaviour, yeah. you know, I think I'd be shouting at them in case we got shut down. Well, 100%. Now, you know, at Talk Radio, we're very happy to challenge the COVID measures. Yes. I notoriously did that with my mask moment a few months ago. Indeed. And I'm, you know, for me, that's what this radio station is all about, is that we can debate and talk about everything. But at no point have I ever said, don't follow the rules. I mean, I've got about 100 masks. I have a collection at home. Um, but I think... Yeah, that, but that's not know, just because... You've had those for a long time before the pandemic, haven't you? Well, well, exactly. I've, I use them in private quarters <laughs> with Mrs. Dolan, and I'll spare you the gory details. Thank you very Mike. much indeed. But but the bottom line is that, you, you know, you can debate the rules, which is what talk radio is there for, uh, but I also follow them until the rules change. And, that, and that's all that Mr. Cruz is trying to do, mm. is get his team to stay two metres apart, wear the face covering because that's the rule, that's the mandate. We don't love it, but it, it is what it is. I think the only thing that um, bothered me slightly is that... Um, the manner in which he lost his temper. Um, we, you know, the greatest leader of perhaps in, in the history of sport is Sir Alex Ferguson. And yeah. he's famous, Michael, for the hairdryer treatment. And that is that is shorthand for him yelling at David Beckham, Paul Scholes and the rest of it. Two things. Look at what he achieved uh, with that hairdryer treatment. It was clearly a powerful weapon. But I don't feel Sir Alex necessarily lost control of his emotions. I think it was an explosion of anger very focused, very directed. What bothered me about the audio, the tape of Tom Cruise, is I felt that it was so protracted and so long that this is a guy, he's got a point, he's under pressure, but he's not in control of his own emotions. And so if I was his shrink, I'd get him in for a bit of extra time. Well, the other thing uh, which has been suggested, of course, which you may or may not take on, take on board, is that he is an actor, right? So he can yeah. act. And he is whatever whatever people may say. He's a reasonably good actor. And so maybe he was just acting mad because, you know, some of us can do that. I mean, I've done that in the past. Yes, he definitely has the presence. Uh, he knows how to deliver a line. And it did sound like a, probably, perhaps maybe his best ever performance. Um, but it was rooted in, in a sincere, um, you know, emotional sort of upset about, you know, what these people were putting at risk by being careless. But by the way, I'm all for tough bosses. I mean, you and I uh, have been in the media and there are a lot of maverick bosses. I don't mind a, a boss that loses their temper that is really tough, as long as they're good at their job. Yes. I'll take any amount of sort of hairdryer if, if the person that's yelling at me, uh, I respect. And I think that's the key thing with your boss. And how can you not respect Tom Cruise? This movie would not exist. Well, the, but, I mean, the whole building in him. which they were act, when in which they were working, would not have been being used if it wasn't for him. You know, there is no I, Mission Impossible without Tom Cruise. But you must have heard a few stories in your time as well, Mark, of, of you know wayward maverick characters doing terrible things to people, uh, either in nightclubs or in comedy clubs or yeah. in, in other sections of the media. You can do it without naming names if you wish. Well, yeah, I mean, what I like is I my best bosses have been the ones and colleagues have been the ones that are, are a bit. Uh, uh, possibly up front with you because you know where you stand and mm. maybe you have been yelled at or maybe a curse word or two god forbid um but it's honest uh, the bosses that i fear are the ones that say everything's uh, you know smelling of roses and then the next day you get your p45 you know i think it's it is an authentic thing we're all human beings and i don't really want to you know guilt trip tom cruise for this moment first of all 
it's quite unethical to secretly record this guy mm. at work trying to do his job. But also, you know, the world would not be as fantastic as it is without tough bosses. I'll give you Steve Jobs, right? The creator of the iPhone, the founder of Apple, which is now the richest technology company in the history of, of humanity. And uh, two things about him. First of all, people were advised not to get in an elevator if Steve was in the lift, because if you looked at him in the wrong way, he'd get you fired. Yeah. Right, which is unethical. Well, Robert Maxwell, he's, he's Robert Maxwell, boss. you know, Ghislaine Maxwell's father, the uh, bouncing Czech, as he used to be known, who once owned the Daily Mirror, uh, he had his own lift at the Mirror Towers, right? So nobody else was allowed in. And he once fired a guy who was found to be in the lift at the same time as him. Unfortunately, discovering later that he was actually a postman and he couldn't fire him because he didn't actually work for him. Just perfect. I mean, you couldn't make it up. <laughs> my favorite my favorite story about a tough boss, it comes back to Steve Jobs, actually, which is that when they were developing the iPhone, his team came in with what they thought was the perfect prototype. And he took it in his hand. He said, I hate it. It's disgusting. It's, it's big. It's clunky. It's ugly. Um, and you've got to make it smaller. And they said, Steve, we cannot make it smaller. He takes the phone. He then chucks this rather expensive prototype into the fish tank behind him in his office. He points at the bubbles and says, you can make it smaller. <laughs> well, and he was right, wasn't he? That's the point. He most certainly was. And sometimes these people like Tom Cruise, I'm sure he pushes everybody, just like you push your team, Michael. I do. In the Independent Republic. Not hard enough, them. unfortunately. You know, they're all snowflakes. Yeah, well, you've, you've softened with the years, Michael. It's true. But, uh, yeah, it's you true. know, it's, it, is, it is in the end, you, you're not going to get anything great done in this world without a little friction and without a little... Uh, you know, a raised voice here and there. It's very true. Now, I'm delighted to say you're joining us tomorrow for Plank of the Year, which is a, a very, very big event here at Talk Radio Tower. So I shall see you then. And also you'll be on presumably tomorrow afternoon uh, on Drive as well. Absolutely. And we're, of course, going to have our eagle eye on everything, what's happening over Christmas, Brexit and all the rest of it. Marvellous stuff. Mark Dolan, thank you very much indeed. A Talk Radio presenter, man about town and, of course, a great maverick of Talk Radio. With Mike Graham, Talk Radio. So I was listening to Andy Burnham, the Mayor of Manchester, on Julia Hartley Brewer's show this morning, talking about how, uh, rather confusingly, he said that he wanted there to be a tighter lockdown over Christmas so that there shouldn't really be three families meeting in one house for five days. A bit like we just heard Jonathan Ashworth saying for the Labour Party benches uh, against Matt Hancock. But he also wanted an easing of the restrictions in Manchester down from Tier 3 to Tier 2. Doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. Let's talk to Patrick Christie's, who is indeed in Manchester for us. Uh, Patrick, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon, Mike. How are you? Yeah, good. I mean, were you expecting to go down to tier, to tier two or were you expecting uh, Mr Burnham to be continually punished for what he did? No, that's one of the things about living in Manchester. You've just got to let go of hope. And, um, <laughs> and, and to, um, I, thought that, uh, I thought it was unlikely that, that Matt Hancock would have allowed us northern monkeys some time out of our gravy-filled cages, Mike. Um, it's, uh, the question would have been as well, what would we have done with our newfound freedom, like Neanderthals emerging from, from a cave, right. finally seeing the, the sun is thawing the ice age. But, uh, but no, it would have made sense, pr practically and politically speaking, to have moved Manchester, Greater Manchester, into Tier 2. There is a strong case for it. There's um, steady decreases in all 10 of the region's boroughs. The average rate is 150 cases per 100,000, which is uh, lower than the England-wide average of 194, of course, and it's below the rate in both London and Liverpool when they were put into Tier 2. So 
Uh, there was the case for it. Also, politically speaking, of course, there are nine conservative seats in Greater Manchester. Sir Graham Brady's is one of them, uh, chair of the 1922 committee. And so it would have been a useful way of keeping them on side. But I think after yesterday's intervention from the British Medical Journal and, and co saying that, look, this would be an absolute disaster now. Um, and we shouldn't even really be having a normal Christmas, let alone letting people in tier two now. It was unlikely, I think, that Matt Hancock was going to go against that. Right. But he now seems to have, and I know this is of no consequence to you or probably of any interest either, but he now seems to put uh, Surrey, uh, most of Sussex, uh, most mm. of Hampshire uh, into tier three as well. Um, and again, the question has to be asked, is this just because they're following these numbers that they're counting, which may or may not be misleading? Yeah, absolutely. I did think Matt Hancock sounded a bit like David Brent, didn't he? It was like he did. Reading, Old Shot, Bracknell, Didcot, Yately. Um, but, um, yeah. but yeah, it's no, like that uh, Rowan Atkinson sketch where he's calling out the names of the, <laughs> the, 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 the stations the train's stopping at. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, look, I think, I think there are serious questions about the flawed data that, 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 that the government has, um, has been using. I mean, that data was, has been proven to be, to, to be flawed and misleading and presented as facts, which I think is the worst thing about all of this as well. It's all very well and good. Um, you know, bombarding us with information on the, you know, on the slides and all of that, and then restricting our civil liberties off the back of it. But can you just make sure that, that information is factually accurate, please, if you don't mind? There is real anger here, and I suspect now this is going to be uh, washing down south as more of those places go into tier three as well, which is the government's latest response to the hospitality crisis. Mm. Now, if you aren't going to close hospitality, it might be nice to provide evidence that these venues are contributing to the spread of the virus, but alas. Uh, or actually, it might also be nice to give them adequate financial backing. That The government's just announced its, it's bounce-back loan scheme, which yes. presumably some kind of sick inside joke, because um, the scheme uh, does, in fact, give you a loan of up to £50,000, but you have to pay it back after 12 months with an interest rate of 2.5%, and many businesses can't afford that. The no. only thing bouncing back will be the dodgy checks from restaurateurs. So um, it, it is difficult to see uh, how a lot of these places survive, definitely. It really is. Also, all the people that I understand and I've talked to about this say that, you know, it's all for real the government saying that they're supporting the hospitality industry. But, I mean, everyone I speak to says, well, yeah, well, they're giving us two grand a month or they're giving us three grand a month, uh, but we're losing about 15 as a result of the fact that we still have to pay for things that they're not covering for us, you know. And uh, equally, there'll be a lot of pubs now uh, in all of these regions that have gone into tier three that will now just have to dump all their stock yeah and it's the and it's the lack of notice and i, I do understand that things move quickly and and you've got to be reactive and all of that stuff but yeah this is this is the thing now people are, are, are really scratching their heads about what on earth it is that they're uh, that they're going to do about this I, I, i'm not sure how a lot of places do um do re-emerge from this to be honest with you it does feel a bit like the final nail in the coffin i think a lot of businesses felt as though it's all right we can maybe make some of this money back during christmas and and actually um it's it, it's not possible we are now kind of locked in this it feels like groundhog day we're locked in this vortex where we're promised freedoms we're shown a glimmer of hope whether that's a vaccine or whether that's the r8 dropping or what have you and and all of a sudden there's an announcement oh we just seem to have lost your within signal. days Within days, within days, we've got Matt Hancock there, um, uh, you know, sort of saying that the, he's having cabinet level meetings about uh, stopping Christmas and that actually the virus has mutated and, and, and all of this. So um, it really is just one one uh, miserable uh, scenario after another, really. It, it? it is. I mean, the only good news is if you live in Herefordshire, but I'm afraid very few people do. Um, that's gone from <laughs> tier two to tier one. But I think it's mostly uh, livestock in Herefordshire, isn't it? I mean, I think they've got about a third of the population of Luxembourg there. So, I mean, I don't think there's going to be great and uh, sort of joyous uh, uh, parties being thrown. You have to drive 50 miles to meet anyone. 
Well, that well, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> just say just taking the tractor out for a spin. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but no, th this is the thing where where I, th I think what a lot of people were hoping as well is is that actually Christmas would be relatively normal, and, and that is now looking um, more and more distant. Really far from having the the family get-togethers. Of course, Wales is massively restricting uh, that. Nicola Sturgeon's still doing her Braveheart impression, but yeah. Right crying freedom she's crying lockdown isn't she and um well she's she telling people not to have any kind of christmas at all isn't she well exactly that's the thing um uh, and, and here now it'll be interesting to see what boris johnson does of course there are echoes aren't there of what happened um at eid where literally at the at the 11th hour boris johnson basically cancelled eid essentially um so i'm just wondering whether or not we're going to get a similar christmas day message from uh, our prime minister um uh, and and i think this is it not only is the business element to it but but there is also the, the community sense of it as well which is um, it is being completely shattered at the moment. And a lot of people will be saying, well, hang on a minute, especially in the north of England, where, where I am now in Greater Manchester, why is this? Why are we facing such tough restrictions if our, if our average infection rate is, is lower than the rest of England? Um, and especially in places like uh, Altrincham and, and Sale West, which is Sir Graham Brady's seat, mm. basically, that's not really Greater Manchester. That's Cheshire. Yeah. Right? And, um, and then you've got your places right in the middle of Greater Manchester, like Manchester City Centre, where the infection rate is higher. Well, why are we all grouped into it there, you know? And also what I will say is people just aren't sticking to these rules. If you try and book a table at a restaurant in a place called Wilmslow, which is just down the road from here, which is in tier two, you absolutely cannot get in because everybody from the tier three areas is coming here for dinner. Right. Um, so, yeah, people aren't really sticking to it anyway. And that's the thing that people are not supposed to be doing, right? Because you're not supposed wow. to travel. But I mean, I, I have to say, and I've said it already on the show, that the, the performance yesterday by some of these journalists asking the, the most ridiculous questions that they could think of, you know, uh, like why we weren't locking down even more and, and why mm. whether we're encouraging people to have, you know, five day long parties with three different households, which is not what the point of it all is. The point of it, surely, is that if you have a mix of families, which a lot of people do, some people have step families, some people People have stepdaughters, stepsons, stepmothers. You know, not everybody meets on Christmas Day and then hangs about for five days having a party in the same room. No, I actually think the mainstream media have got a huge amount to answer for for the fact that we're in this mess in the first place. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, they were they were so repetitive in their in their call for a lockdown right at the start of this crisis and then we did go into lockdown and all of a sudden why are we in lockdown what's the way out of lockdown i can't believe you've thrown us into lockdown you know rigby and peston there like the nightmare duo sniping at uh, uh, at boris johnson and then it dawned on me actually what these people want is just a resignation that's what they live for now they just live for a cabinet resignation or a prime minister's resignation they don't actually necessarily want what's best for the country and the case in point of this was when the whole scott the never-ending debacle of the scotch egg mm. when, when you know, we get presented with some rules that are designed to maybe help us have a little bit of freedom in, in essentially what, what is a pandemic and the main focus comes on whether or not a scotch egg is a substantial meal and I like the hypocrisy or the ludicrousness of that. And you think, hang on a minute, surely there's more important things to do. Um, although, of course, it's nice to see that some journalists have managed to still get out and about, isn't it? Oh, it is. Absolutely right. But, you know, uh, you know, you, you can't always practice what you preach. It's not always an easy thing to do for many of these people. You know, they've been under an awful lot of stress. But uh, I'm happy to see that Beth Rigby's substitute is just as idiotic as she was with the question that he managed to find uh, to ask Boris Johnson. But I wonder whether Boris Johnson's now the last, last man standing. Uh, everybody yeah. else around him literally wants to close everything up put the shutters up, not open until kind of, you know, next March or something and tell everybody to forget Christmas altogether. I wonder if he's the only one who's not saying that. Yeah, I, I can't help but fear that Boris Johnson is, obviously he keeps going on about being guided by the science, more like kind of led by the nose by the science, yeah. isn't it? Uh, 
And clearly, I think he has been put in an incredibly difficult situation, which is that I do genuinely believe he is, you know, a staunch believer in civil liberties and personal freedoms, etc. But he's been felt been, he's been placed in this situation where he's got to uh, he's got to restrict them. I think what I think is interesting is I thought that it was very very um, difficult once you'd given people rights and freedoms, it would be very difficult to remove them. Well, actually, I was wrong about that. So now it's very easy to remove them, and it turns out that it's very easy for the government to get drunk on that power now. Mm. Um, Boris Johnson obviously has, has had a tough time with all of this. I don't think he's, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I don't think he's helped by the people that he's got around him. I think their, their biggest concern is, is the number of lives lost. And I do understand that. But actually, the knock-on effect, the kind of the hidden lives lost that comes from the financial ruin that this country is going to be find itself in now for arguably a generation, maybe two, potentially. And um, also, of course, he's... He's in a sense not been helped by the fact that the Labour opposition is so appallingly bad either. I mean, um, it would be nice if Sir Keir Starmer could shout a few ideas at him from the yeah. dispatch box at PMQs, but um, instead he doesn't quite. He doesn't well, Jonathan, like, you know, Jonathan Ashworth sort of trots out the figure of sixty-one thousand deaths as though uh, it's an absolute fact, which of course isn't a fact yeah. because we yeah. don't know for sure how many of those people who are counted as having died of COVID actually died of something completely different. Yeah, and, and again, this is what another thing that I don't understand why this wasn't made more of, especially from our, our friends at, at, at The Guardian and places like that, where it became, you know, worst death toll in Europe, what an omni-shambles this is, you know, Boris Johnson, blood on his hands. And then it emerges that actually the figures are completely flawed and wrong and that people can never recover from COVID, apparently. And if you got hit by a bus, you would have actually died from the coronavirus. And you actually think, yeah. oh, hang on a minute. Well, this is, well, this is the thing. I mean, this is the state of the Daily Mirror front page this morning. The PM's lax Christmas bubbles will lead to more deaths, say his own advisers, but he won't change the law and wants you to take the blame for a killer third wave. Um, you know what I'm going to do now, don't you? I'm going to rip it up. It's got to be done because this is an absolute disgrace. The Daily Mirror, a complete, used to be a great paper when I worked for it, but now it's just complete rubbish. I'm not going to throw it uh, in front of me today. I'm going to throw it behind me just for a change. I mean, what sort of journalism is that? Well, well, it's not, is it, really? I mean, it's just sticking the knife into Boris Johnson, calling him a coward and, and this, that and the other. I mean, it's the same people who will be running a front page about, you know, him, him mocked up as the Grinch if he decided that he did come to cancel Christmas uh, as well. And, and again, that does come back to my point about the, the state of the media with this. There is a complete lack of consistency, um, uh, which, to be fair, has been mirrored by this government. But there is a lack of consistency. And it just, just makes you wonder what it is that they're actually after. You know, it doesn't it doesn't seem like they know what they want, to be perfectly honest with you. No, and they don't know when they want it. And I'm, I'm not, not even sure I've seen when this tier three thing ends because it ends presumably on the 23rd so that we can all go and have the five-day party with three different groups of people um, and then back on the 27th again it's all back on the bus and, and you're all locked up again for the rest of the time yeah well well this is the other element of it that has gone a bit quiet about is does it actually end then we're, we're expecting it to but but the other thing that i would like to see more of our journalists asking about is what the heck is going on with these nightingale hospitals tonight because you know, it's all very well and good locking us down and mm. saying, you know, we don't want the NHS to be overwhelmed. We created the equivalent of 50 new hospitals, either through new beds in existing hospitals or through Nightingale hospitals, which are standing out as these giant white elephants. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we could open them up on New Year's Eve and have a socially distanced New Year's Eve rave. <laughs> I mean, how about that? Absolutely. Well, I normally end up in hospital on New Year's <laughs> Day anyway. <so> <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah, listen, no, well, listen, we, we, we can only laugh, I suppose, because there's nothing else to do. Patrick, uh, great to talk to you. We'll talk to you again soon. Patrick Christie's is doing some shows over Christmas and New Year uh, here at Talk Radio. So look out for those. We'll bring you up to date with all of that when it happens. 
Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're going to talk to Paul Bristow very shortly, who's a Conservative MP for Peterborough, uh, to get his view on uh, going into Tier 3. First, though, let's just get quickly a chat with Ted in Kent, who's got a little story for us. Hi, Ted. Morning, Mike. Good to speak to you again. Good to talk to you, yes. A little, little quick story for us. Yes, um, my uh, boss of eight years, uh, a few years back now, he died about five years ago, unfortunately. But um, um, I liked him personally because he knew, he, he knew what he wanted and he told you and there was no messing with him. Mm. But uh, he had trouble with uh, IT and particularly laptops and the IT <laughs> managers who uh, the, who looked after him for right. him. And um, we had a series of events where he would just become frustrated with them and uh, lots of swearing words um, and they would uh, very often fly across the office and uh, and I'd go up to uh, to the floor he was on and find a pile of plastic and uh, well have you never hit anybody with one no he didn't fortunately some of the parts did hit one of my pals there but that's another story unbelievable but, um, it really, I mean people do throw things around in quite a remarkable way that's very funny Ted thank you very much indeed sorry to be so brief but we have uh, very little time left and we'd like to speak now to Paul Bristow Conservative MP for Peterborough also Health and Social Care Select Committee member Paul a very good uh, afternoon to you good afternoon Mike I, I can imagine there might be a few uh, laptops being thrown around in Peterborough right now as it goes into uh, tier 3 Oh, I'm just. I'm not going to pretend it's a good day for Peter, but I'm just personally very, very upset and distressed by it. But yeah, I saw it coming to be honest with you because uh, our rates um, were increasing. We've got to be honest about that. They have increased uh, by about 40% over the last week or two, um, and I, I just saw this as an inevitability. But yeah. what really grinds my gears, Mike, is that it's not pubs and hospitality that are driving this this infection rate, um, but it's those those venues. But that's that's always been my point as well. Well, first of all, that that point, which is true, but also secondly, the rates are going up. Yes, and and we can't argue with the numbers, but we can argue with the methodology and what it actually all means, in my view. You know, because an awful lot of the increase, for example, in London was in schools. An awful lot of the increase in uh, uh, Sussex is in schools. Now, I know that you can't ignore that. But surely there has to be a bit more of a nuanced approach here. Well, if it came to a choice between it, I'd definitely choose schools over pubs. But I don't think it's an arbitrary choice um, like that because I think pubs are not to blame for uh, this, no. this uh, increase. Um, and the picture you pointed in uh, in other parts of the country is exactly the picture in Peterborough. It's actually schools, care homes, and actually the mixing of of um, households outside of COVID-secure venues mm. like pubs and restaurants, etc. And it just, as I say, grinds my gears that it's those venues who um, who are going to suffer. And I don't know if you know if you know Peterborough, but Peterborough's a... I, um, no, a I don't know it terribly well. I mean, I know people who are from there, but I've I've never spent a lot of time there, to be honest. Well, it's a city that does rely on quite, you know, those customer interaction yeah. businesses, uh, everything from pubs, restaurants to taxis, etc. Mm. And it, it's, it's going to suffer. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Because there isn't a great deal of difference in terms of the behaviour of people um, outside of tiers two and three. You know, once you're in tier two, you're not going to do that much differently from, from going into tier three, because a lot of pubs have told me that they didn't really do much business anyway in tier two. But the fact is, is that the economic damage is going to be huge and you're kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face. And if if they really think this government that people are not going to mix in situations which are now less safe covid wise, then they're barking up the wrong tree, aren't they? 
Well, I think rules have got to be clear and uh, in order to uh, generate compliance. They've also got to be seen to be fair. And uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head that if they're not seen to be fair, they're not seen to be clear, then people won't follow them. And that's why with the substantial meal rule I had such a problem with um, when we went into the tier system uh, a, a, few, a few weeks ago. Mm. But look, the lesson's clear. I mean, we have to try. This is going to happen again and again and again, unless the infection rate comes down. And winter, you know, is, the, is a, a time where respiratory diseases and infections kind of go up. And so the, those simple rules that we all understand, you know, hands, face and space, those are the rules that we've got to mm. go ahead and obey. Yes, and I think most people do. I don't think there's any question about that. But, I mean, the other question I would have, and I don't know whether you know the answer to this one, is in Peterborough, what's the situation in the hospitals? Because, again, it's a slightly skewed picture depending on who you speak to because it was pointed out to me by one of our callers. We've had uh, two different sort of health um, specialists on, one saying, well, of course, we couldn't use the uh, Nightingale hospitals because we didn't have the staff, but and the other one saying, well, we're doing 10% or 11% less beds in hospitals now because of the uh, the spacing for COVID. So, you know, the, you know, on the one hand, they're saying they haven't got enough staff. On the other hand, they're saying they've got fewer beds. Well, the situation in Peterborough is the, the hospital is full. Uh, but uh, the difference between then and the first lockdown is that it's not necessarily full with COVID patients from Peterborough. Right. It's full of all sorts of other different um, uh, patients doing different things, but I think it's just full, like it's always full yeah. during winter. I right. completely well, I mean, I, I hear every single winter from the NHS that the NHS is going to be overwhelmed. They say it every year. Yeah, and look, you know, and I completely get that, and it is full. I'm not going to say and people are working hard, but it's also Lincolnshire. If you think Lincolnshire have been in tier three, yeah. quite unfairly, some of the rural areas around Lincolnshire, but other parts of Lincolnshire, and it is a national health service, so I do stress that, I accept that, but other parts of Lincolnshire have, have struggled. So you're seeing a lot of patients in Peterborough mm. Hospital who are actually not from Peterborough, and that is different to the situation before the last lockdown. Yes, absolutely right. Well, my sympathies uh, to you and to the people of Peterborough, Paul, and just hope we can get out of this sooner rather than later. Paul Bristow, Conservative MP for Peterborough there. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.